Hey there, my name is Ben Ramos, and you are listening to the Rise Church Podcast. We are a church in southeastern Idaho that is dedicated to sound biblical theology coupled with the authentic power of God. Our true hope is that this podcast would help you to continue to grow and taking steps in your relationship with Jesus. I hope you feel empowered today. I hope you feel encouraged today, and I hope you feel uplifted. God bless you. Enjoy the podcast. Thanks for being here. I'm excited to continue to dive into the Word as we're walking through the Gospel of Mark. And what we've seen is John Mark uh, is writing this Gospel. He's writing this this, uh, story about Jesus, and he's writing it from the perspective of Peter. So he's retelling this story. And what we notice about Mark is that he's he's trying to move us Uh, move us along rather rapidly. So he's go, 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 go. And finally, we're getting to this point where Peter's taking a turn and he's pivoting and now teaching and talking a little bit more about Jesus actually going to the cross. This was his goal this whole time is to get us to, to this point. He wants the reader, he wants us to understand and to remember what Jesus Christ did for us that Jesus went to that cross, that he paid the price for our sins, that he was buried in that grave, he was resurrected after three days, and that Jesus Christ lives again. Jesus Christ is alive today. And so in our last interaction with with Jesus, we read in chapter 8 about how Jesus healed a blind man at Bethsaida, Uh, And then he has this interaction with the disciples where he wants to ensure they get the Christian essentials. You guys remember walking through that last week? We talked about how important it is just to recognize who Jesus is, that Jesus isn't just some good, nice guy who says some really fluffy things to make us feel good, that Jesus actually makes these claims that he is the son of God. And so either he is the son of God or he's a lunatic claiming crazy things. And so we came to this place of recognizing that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's the Messiah. He's just coming a little differently than the Jewish people had expected. He, he communicated that he's come to be this suffering servant. And he pointed to a number of places within the Old Testament that actually declare this and prophesy about this. We came to this understanding that Jesus is the one true way to heaven, We talked about how in our world today, there are a number of beliefs that would say, well, if you believe this God, if you believe, if you just live the good life, if you just live the life that makes you feel good, that you're going to end up in heaven, that you're going to uh, end up in a good place, and it's all going to be good. But the truth of the scripture is that there is one way, there is one truth, and there is one life. That is through Jesus Christ. That is through our faith in Jesus Christ. That is the gift from God to us. This is how we enter into eternity. As Peter heard this suffering part, we remember good old Peter, and he replies to Jesus. He takes him aside and says, no way. This isn't how you're supposed to come. No way. You're supposed to come with all of this force, this military force that's going to take over everything. You're not supposed to, you're not supposed to suffer. And you guys remember what he said? What Jesus says to Peter? He says, get behind me. Satan, speaking to him as an adversary, speaking to him as someone who is standing in the way of the will of God. He's saying anything that is outside of the will of God, get behind me because we've got a mission, we've got a kingdom to continue to push forward, to continue to develop. This is what we're doing. So anything that is contrary to that, get get behind me. And as I was just thinking about this, that Peter gets a lot of flack for having a big mouth, right? He just, he just says dumb stuff all the time. Like, dude, okay, come on, Peter. Tone it down a little bit. At least that's what's going through, through my mind. And that's just my overall picture of Peter. But the Lord was just really speaking to me this week, and he was just showing me that there was a reason why Jesus didn't be like, dude, Peter, you're canceled, you're, you're done. Get out. You said enough dumb things. You're, you're done being a disciple. All done. There's a reason why he, he didn't do that. And, and I think one of the reasons is because I think we need people like Peter in our lives. I think there, as much as he sticks his foot in his mouth, 
there are a number of really good traits about Peter and uh, some things that we can think about in terms of the friends that we have in, in our lives. Just consider your friend circle. Consider the people who speak into your life and, and maybe just ask some of these questions. You know, Peter, he's been faithful to following Jesus. It's been like three years that, G, uh, that Peter has been following Jesus at this point. And he's been faithful. He's, he's kept along. A number of times, a number of people have turned away from Jesus. We, we hear about the crowds leaving and coming back and leaving and coming back. But Peter stuck with, stuck with Jesus. Peter has listened to Jesus and, and believed him. I like this about Peter, that he's so convinced that his view is of God that he actually confronts Jesus. That's pretty crazy. But honestly, I want those type of people in my life. I want those type of people who are reading the scriptures, who are praying about uh, their own life, who are praying into my life, and that they're just so convicted, even if they're wrong sometimes, but they're so convicted that this is God's will, and this is what I'm gonna stand up for. See, I think in this world today, we have so many people that are just laissez-faire about everything. We need to have some people who have conviction. I want, I want those people in, in my life. What I, I really like about Peter also was when Peter was wrong, even though being passionate about his stance, he was humble enough to acknowledge that he was wrong and still stick with Jesus. Peter's this picture of a, a good friend. He has those strong convictions about Jesus. Do our friends have strong convictions about Jesus? I think it's important to just evaluate, take a step back. Let's just evaluate the people who are in our lives. Now, what I'm not saying is these are the only people that should be in our lives, right? I'm not saying let's go get in a bunker, let's only surround ourselves with Christians because we need to be a light in the world, we need to be in the world, not of the world, right? These are all, all truthful th things in scripture, so hear, hear what I am saying. I'm saying that we need to have those people who are encouraging us, who are speaking into our lives, who are keeping us going in the right direction in, in our lives. He's willing to bring up difficult things. Do you have people who will actually step into that place and call things out in your life? Say, hey, hey Ben, this, it, it, you said this or you acted this way, and I feel like that doesn't line up with scripture. Do you have people who can safely say that to you? And another thing is, do you welcome that? Are, we, are they willing to accept and stick around when they, they miss it? I've got friends who have spoken things from God, uh, they said was from God, and then I, I went through a situation and that thing that they said didn't happen and I went back to them and they're still my friends. They've, they've still stuck around. They've just been like, oh, I missed it. Do we, do we have people like that in our lives who aren't just gonna just run in, in the other direction? I think one of the most heartbreaking things about living in this part of the United States, at least for me, my experience may be different from a lot of people, but one of the most heartbreaking things about living in this part of the United States has been this refusal to engage in healthy biblical confrontation and, and conversation. It's, it's just been kind of this passive, aggressive type of uh, uh, environment where things come up and then people just disappear. Where they don't say anything about it, we don't process. I, I believe it's in Matthew 18 that would speak of if a brother has something against me, the Christian way is to actually bring it up. Let's talk about it. Let's get it out all on the table. I know it's hard. Confrontation can be hard, but confrontation is the way of the kingdom of God. This is how we're supposed to do family. We're, we're to talk to each other. I, I think as I was looking at, um, since my transition, I think I've been here for around five years, and obviously going into any church transition, you've got people who leave and transition out, and you've got people who stick around, and, and, and I think out of like the 20 to 30 individuals or families that I've seen move, move on, maybe five of them had conversations with me. And of those five, three of them had possible biblical grounds for, for moving on. And they faithfully presented their perspectives, but only one of them had room to hear my challenge. 
I want us to be that people, uh, the people of God who can have disagreements, who can have conversation about it, and if we end up in a place where we don't see eye to eye, then we're gonna seek the Lord, and we're gonna say, all right, God's calling me here, or God's calling me to stay, right? And so we've got to be able to have good biblical confrontation without, without getting all up on our, our high horse and having our, our, our feelings hurt. It's okay to have our feelings hurt sometimes. It's okay to have our toes stepped on. We should, we should welcome this. It, it, it is really, really helpful, and I, I, I understand, and I think it might even just be helpful to point out part of the reason why people in this region, us, we, um, uh, act like this towards like biblical authority is because of the, the, uh, this culture being steeped so much in religion. We see that kind of all around in this false this false idea of just because someone has a title means they have biblical authority. And so we've seen that just mishandled terribly within a number of different church, uh, church areas. And then we have the whole culture of this country responding to governmental overreach on many different levels. And so we have this culture that's pushing us towards like deny all authority, I just wanna, I'm just gonna live my own way, I'm gonna do my own things. But the Bible calls us to acknowledge biblical authority. And so maybe some of us just need to hear that this morning, that maybe God is prompting us, let's look into what the Bible actually says about authority and how we live according to that. This is not my message at all. Uh, this, is, this is just kind of a, a, a warm up, but I just felt like the Lord wanted to remind some people here that this is something that we ought to look into. When we think about authority, it's something that we've gotta get our understanding from the Bible on. Um, what, does this, what does this look like? How could we start actually living, living this out? I think the easiest place to start is to find someone who has been empowered by the Spirit of God to be in a pastoral role, someone who's been trained, someone who has, is walking in discipleship, someone who displays um, spiritual character and the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives that you wanna grow from. So you find that person. As you find them, you wanna spend some time with them. You can invite them out for coffee or, um, or you could say, hey, I don't have money to buy coffee, but you can buy me coffee, let's go. That's my favorite approach. That's like the best way to go. Hey, we should meet up for coffee and you're paying. Praise Jesus. <laughs> and so we're coaching all of our, our leaders to actually be like, okay, yeah, yeah, we will buy your coffee for you. So give it a shot, give it a shot. So spend some time with them and then open up, open up your life. I've sat at so many coffee, uh, coffee meetings or, or whatever, I almost called them coffee dates, coffee meetings uh, where we just sit there and we talk surface level. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Awesome, so how's your dog? Cool, how's, how's your cat? Okay, I'll pray for you. And you know, just kind of surface level. But let's go deep. When we get into these places with someone who has like biblical authority, someone who you want to speak in your life, we've gotta look at it as us being one of the disciples of Jesus. They lived their lives with Jesus. They went everywhere, and so Jesus saw everything about their lives. We don't have that. Like, I don't see any of you guys living in my basement and coming with me everywhere. Praise Jesus. <laughs> it's all right. But that means that we've got a little bit harder work to do when it comes to discipleship in our world today. And so find a leader, spend time with that leader, and then open up your life. Talk about the deep things. Just talk about, talk about what you're processing through. Like what are the things that you're, you're struggling as you're, you're processing through? This is difficult in the world today. This is difficult in my life, right? This is a, a, a practical way to do it. And then ask them to speak into your life. I've sat in a number of meetings, again, where uh, people have told me their stories. They've, they've gone deep. They've told me their perspective. But it seems like they've got it all down, it seems like there's no entryway for me to give any biblical perspective or anything that God might be speaking into this. And so we've just gotta come at this place of humility, of saying, speak into my life. This past week, I, um, uh, or the week before, I was in Washington speaking at this camp. I got to spend some time with my mentor, Pastor Ben Dixon, and one of the things I made sure to do as I was sitting there was saying, Ben, you know me better than anybody else. 
You, you've known me longer than most people. You see, you hear the things I'm preaching. You see the way I'm living. I've just had this time with you. Do you see anything that, uh, that's concerning to you? Are, are there things in my life that you think I need to work on or give focus to? These should be normal questions in our lives when we've got people in, in authority. It's just this, this welcoming in because God's, God's made us for community. God's made us to live in this, this type of community and then lastly is, is just to expect the Holy Spirit to speak through them. I'd expect that we're going into this time and I'm gonna get something from this time with my leader. So I just wanted to uh, encourage us all, all towards that. Let's make sure we have this as a part of our lives. But let's jump into the rest of our, our message this morning. I'm gonna read the, our scripture from Mark, Mark chapter nine. We're talking about the glory of God. And I know this, this term has been mishandled a lot. Uh, we talk about the the glory of God. And you just have to say it like in a specific way in order to get the feeling across, the glory. It's like you got something stuck in your throat and you just got it out, right? Um, And if you don't, you're clearly not meaning the right thing. This is the sense that I get a lot of the times from from many of uh, uh, churches. But let's just simplify this. The Bible talks about the glory of God. A lot. This is something that we ought to welcome in our lives. And sometimes, again, it's broken down into like sparkles. It could be shimmery things. Could be. But really, at the, at the core of its meaning, we're talking about knowing the glory of God. We're talking about knowing God in a more, more intimate way. Knowing God in a, in a fresh way, in a more fuller way. Right? We think about knowing God with, in more depth. The way that I think about it is like taking it from a 2D screen, now knowing God in 3D. We're understanding uh, another dimension of God, and that just keeps increasing in our walk with Jesus. Anyone want to grow in the dimension of our understanding with God? Yes, right? And so when the Bible talks about the glory of God, oftentimes that's what this is talking about. A revelation or a fresh understanding of an aspect of God that we didn't already, already know. And so as we're talking about glory, I just wanted to debunk that a little bit. But I'm gonna read the scripture. Uh, we're gonna pull some things from the scripture and then we're gonna have some observations uh, towards the end that can move towards practical application. The title of the message is we're in message number 25 is making room for more. Making room for more. And that, that really is the encouragement for all of us. We wanna have room in our lives and I, I wanna prompt us towards that. How are we making more room for God? How are we making room to experience the glory of, of God? We'll get there, but let me read, read through these scriptures in Mark chapter nine, verse one. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there are some of you standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. He led them up the high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white. He got that holy oxyclean going on there. As no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Picture this in your mind. Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we're here. Let's make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Some people need to underline that, but Jesus only. We've got a lot of people around us, but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter on the DL, on the down low. They kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And then they asked him, why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written 
of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased as is written of him. This is the word of the Lord. So as we uh, just read over this section of scripture, I wanna just acknowledge one thing, that as, as someone would choose any scripture to preach from, this would probably not be it. This, there are so many complexities within this scripture, uh, within this section of scripture. There are so many nuances within this section of scripture. Um, and there's actually a whole lot of like funky eschatology that people grab from the scripture. Eschatology is that like theology or understanding of God about the end times um, or about when, when everything is over after death, all of, all of that stuff. But um, let's, let's jump into it. Let's kind of break it down verse by verse. Starting in verse one, he said to them, truly I say to you, There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. I think it's important, especially as we're reading through the scriptures as we are, that uh, we remember that it wasn't until the 1550s that uh, verses and chapters were actually given into the Bible. And so just because it's in chapter nine as it's marked within our pages of our Bible doesn't necessarily mean that this was a part of the current day's conversation that we're working through. In fact, uh, this is most likely a part of the previous conversation from the previous message where Jesus has told these disciples, you've gotta deny yourself, you've gotta carry your cross daily, and then he makes this comment along with those those comments uh, that they will see the kingdom of God come in power. Now remember, by this point, Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of God. Uh, the, the Pharisees and the scribes have looked at Jesus and have said, wow, you're healing by the power of some, some demon. And Jesus responded that a, a team that's divided will not prevail. Like Satan's not gonna fight against Satan. If it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so right then and there, Jesus was declaring, the kingdom of God is here right now. The kingdom of God is present right now. It's still present here, here today. But as we continue to look through the scripture, we know that the power of God is going to increase as Jesus would teach about the kingdom of God. He's saying it's it's like this little mustard seed. It it grows, it starts as something small. It's gonna continue to grow. It starts as this little like wheat in the ground and the tares are gonna grow up with it, meaning that the powers of the kingdom of God and the powers of the kingdom of hell are gonna grow up in this time period together. This is all gonna be taking place at the same time and this is what we're experiencing today. But he's saying that there's going to be a time where there's an increase of, of power, That word power that he uses is that Greek word. If you're a Strong's concordance person, it's Strong's number 1411. It's the Greek word dunamis. It means power. This is the same power that we see as the spirit of God would come upon the kings and the prophets and the judges that would empower them to do the things that God's calling them out to do. This is the same power that we see fulfilled later on in Acts chapter two. And so as Jesus is saying this, that some of you will remain alive and actually see the kingdom of God come in power, it's my personal belief that this is actually talking about the promise of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Some believe that this is just simply talking about what is about to happen within the transfiguration. You can go to heaven either way on whichever you believe. Uh, it's totally cool, but just giving you my, my perspective about the power of, of, of God. But he says, six days after this, so six days later, after this conversation takes place, he takes Peter, James, and John with him. He led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured. And automatically, when I read that, I ask the question, why these three? And we don't actually have a direct answer for this. Uh, here's some I- ideas. I know that this is definitely a pattern of Jesus, where he's got different groups of people in, in his life. And again, this is an invitation for us to evaluate the people that we have in, in our lives. Jesus ministered to the crowds, 
right? So that's a group of people. Do we have crowds that we're ministering to? Jesus left a faithful church there in the upper room of 120. Do we have a faithful church as a part of our life? He empowered the 72. Jesus poured into the 12. Who are our 12? Who are those people in our lives that we're helping to grow up in the Lord? If you're, if you're thinking to yourself, how could I do that? Let me tell you, it's by the power of God. God can empower you to, to lead other people. God will empower you to lead other people. It doesn't have to look like anybody else, but God's, God will give you a specific grace and a, a specific power. Jesus went deeper with the three. You have your three. You've got your people in your life who you go deep with, who you can be vulnerable with. It's important to have this type of community. And then he went deepest with the few individuals. And so this is a pattern of Jesus. So this is one of the reasons why it could be this three. It could also be this three because later on these three, Peter, James, and John, would bear testimony about this moment. And in order to be a fulfillment of the law in Deuteronomy 19, two or three people had to be present in order to establish a witness. And so there's, there's purpose in this moment. There's purpose behind everything that Jesus does. And it says that Jesus was transfigured. Again, this glory moment where they see something more about Jesus that they hadn't seen. And I think this is amazing because they're walking with Jesus every single day for three, three years. You would think that if you did that, you would, you would have seen all that you could have seen about this, this man. But now they saw more. And I think it's encouraging me, for me and it, and it stirs me up. There's always more. There's always more for us to know about Jesus. And if you, you're at that point in your life where you're saying, I, I, I've, I know it all about Jesus, let's, let's just break that down, okay? Let's break down that wall because that's the wall that keeps us stuck in our place. We've got to continue to say there's, there's more about Jesus. Jesus, I want to know more about you. I want, I want to know deeper things about you. I want to go deeper with you. There's more for us to know about, about Jesus. In this moment, Matthew said in his account that Jesus' face shone like the sun, was bright. John saw this in Revelation 1.16. Moses experienced this in Exodus 34 says that, um, that Jesus' clothes became radiant and exceedingly white. It's not natural. This is a supernatural event, and this is a normal thing that would uh, be spoken about Jesus throughout, throughout the Bible, where light is used to describe the glory of God, something so, so bright. It's in Psalm 104 that says, Oh my Lord, you are very great. You're clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as a garment. In some of my most just intimate times with the Lord, when I'm away and I'm just seeking him, I'll, I'll have this picture of Jesus, just this bright, this bright light. Just this bright light that's shining so brightly and that, that light gets to rub off on me. When I spend time with Jesus, this is my hope. I'm like, I wanna, I wanna be like Moses after he was up on that mountainside. I wanna, I wanna shine. Like, I wanna, I wanna get up on Sundays and just psh. I, I wanna walk around my world and I just wanna psh. What is that? When I first, when I first moved here, um, we had uh, one of the local um, uh, elders of, of the church or, or, or whatever, um, open, I opened my door and I said, hey, nice to meet you. My name is Ben. We introduced each other. And he said, whoa, you've got this like shiny thing all over you. Like, whoa. And he, he wasn't like a follower of, of Jesus truly, but he was, he was whoa, I'm, I'm like captivated by this shine. And I'm like, yes, that's Jesus. Let me tell you about my Jesus. That's the spirit of God living inside of me. That's the glory of God shining through me. Come on, you can have this too in your life. This is so exciting. Right, we can impact people like this. It said there appeared to them Elijah with Moses and they were talking with, with Jesus. And there are, um, there are arguments about, about this. This is where come, some of that weird eschatology Takes, takes place. So some people would believe that since Elijah was taken up in that chariots of fire, that he 
resides somewhere between the realm that we live in right now and heaven. So he's somewhere just kind of like in the clouds. And so this was a literal Elijah kind of standing there. Uh, someone believed that as uh, scripture would talk about the debates of Moses' body between the archangel Michael and, um, and Satan, that like he was still present and that this was a physical like Moses and Elijah, and then it gets into some more weird eschatology about like um, uh, Jesus having, having not set them free and all, all of this, this weird stuff, but let me, let me just simplify this for you. Luke talks about, uh, when he talks about this story, how they were waking up and they were just kind of like brushing in their eyes. So this kind of tells me, this is, this is a vision taking place here. This is, this is a vision of this taking place and they're getting to, to see this um, transpire. Whatever the case, whatever the real understanding is of this, we know that Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets and that Matthew 5.17 says that he came to fulfill the law and prophets. And so what we're seeing here is this beautiful picture of the culmination of the Old Testament coming together with Jesus, the revelation of Jesus. And so it's this full, big picture. It's an absolutely beautiful moment. Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses, one for Elijah, for he didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. And this cloud over, overshadowed them. A voice came from the cloud. This is my son who, uh, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And as I'm watching this take place, I'm reading it and I'm, I'm watching this story play out in my mind and I'm like, oh, oh, Peter. What do, what do we say? Bless his heart. Oh, Peter, bless his heart. He misses the point of a mountaintop experience. He misses the point of the glory of God in this, in this moment. The, the point of this mountaintop experience is not to make this last as long as possible. Though this is a tendency. When we have these glorious encounters with Jesus, where Jesus is revealed all the more, it makes sense that we just, we just wanna stay there. We wanna be in it because it's so good. In fact, this is what we've been created for. Have any of you guys had like these experiences where we're like, whoa, Jesus, oh my goodness. This is, this is amazing and we do just wanna stay there but it's important to remember that this mountaintop experience was never meant so that we can live on this mountaintop. This mountaintop experience was given to us and shown to us so that it would mark our lives and change our lives the rest of the way. Through the valleys, we're living with this fresh perspective of God. This will increase our ability to be a witness of God to the people around us. These mountaintop uh, experiences were not meant so that we could just pitch a tent and make tents and let's just see how long we can make this. It, it's almost like Peter saying, here's what we're gonna do. Let's pitch these tents, let's get around the fire, let's grab, grab hands and sing kumbaya. Like, let, let's just see how long we can stay in this moment. But that's not the point. There's a mission that God's placed us on. And these experiences to uh, be propelled more further into our mission and be more effective in the mission that Jesus is, is giving us. It says that Peter didn't know what to say. And I wanna give you a tip. This may be easier for me because I have a tendency to be very in my mind about things. I'm processing. Before I talk to anybody on a Sunday morning, I've, I've envisioned it. I've thought about the three ways that I could greet somebody, the three ways that they could reply to me, the three responses for each of those, and on and on. I've got this whole list of how this morning could go, and, and it's all, all played out. And so for the normal person, that probably is not the normal thing to do. So let me give you this tip. If you don't know what to say, just say nothing. <laughs> just say nothing. Or if you don't know what to say, let me, and you have to say something, let me give you what to say. I don't know what to say. Right? That's so much more helpful than saying something that doesn't make sense. You know, uh, the word of God says that we will be held accountable for every word that comes out of our mouth. And so we've got to be people who process our words before, before the Lord. And maybe that's a challenge for some of us. 
But God, with God, it's, it's possible. With God, all things are possible, including shutting your mouth. Praise Jesus. So uh, the cloud overshadowed them. And okay, I don't know about you, but when I think about clouds, I have a negative connotation. I come from Seattle, okay? And I, I, I felt violated by the clouds for the majority of my life. I came here, and the first few months, I saw more sunshine than I had my entire life. I'm like, oh, I didn't know this. This was like a revelation of glory to me. I'm like, whoa, Jesus, this is, this is good. This is good. So when I, think about, when I think about clouds, I'm like, oh, that's, that's terrible. That, that does not sound like a, a good thing. But listen, isn't that just like the enemy to take something beautiful and tie it to something damning? I wonder if that hasn't been something that has taken place for other people. Maybe it's not about clouds, but something God's created, and Satan has used different aspects of, of those things in, in your life and made you feel negatively towards them so that you'll miss, you'll miss God in the midst of them. Maybe just pray about that. But this was a good paradigm shift for me. We, we see this constantly throughout the scriptures. I just had to wrap my brain around it. This is an instance of taking all thoughts captive. And so I realized that clouds are a good thing in the Bible, but clouds for me are a negative thing. Something's gotta change. And it's either the word of God or it's, or it's me. I voted for me. Okay, and, and so I just began reading, all right, Exodus 16, God was there in his presence and a cloud by day. Exodus 40, a cloud would cover the tent of meeting when Moses went in. Acts chapter nine, Jesus was taken up in the clouds. Uh, Matthew 26 says Jesus will return with the clouds. We don't wanna miss what God is doing because we have some false idea and some false feelings or perceptions about something. We've gotta see it, see it biblically. We've gotta take all of our thoughts captive and hold them in according to what Jesus would, would say. But as this cloud envelops him, the Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And here's what Peter, James, and John heard, this is a fulfillment of scripture. They would think back to Deuteronomy 18 where it says, the Lord your God will raise up for him a prophet like me from among you and from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And so this, it, in case the disciples have missed it up to this point, all of these things of the revelation of who Jesus is, now God the Father is making sure that they understand that this is God the Son. This is who, this is who he is. He's putting his stamp of approval right then and there. But the disciples had questions. He said, why do, the, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And then he said to them that Elijah does come first to restore all things. And they had all of these, these questions. And when God confronts you with something, when he exposes something to you, when you're in that place and, and God just speaks to you, I wanna let you know, it's okay if you have questions. It's okay, it's good to have questions. And I, this is probably not a popular comment, when in church or any religious atmosphere, it's even okay to have doubts. It's okay to come to God with your doubts. Just communicate, I, 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 I'm doubting this, but I know that this is what your word says, but I'm feeling this, and so God, help me. There's actually places in the Bible that would talk about, I believe, but help my unbelief. There are sections of my life that I'm not fully stepping into that faith like I want to, like I ought to, so God, help me. I think it's beautiful that we don't have to be perfect when we come before God. We can come with all of our brokens. We can come with all of our, our scrapes and cuts and just come before him and say, all right, God, fill me in. Help me out. And he loves, he loves to do that. I think the safest place to bring our doubts should be Jesus, and it should be his church. This should be a safe place to talk about our, our doubts, but here's what happens. I've seen this time and time again where people have doubts, have questions about their faith, and so they say, in order for me to find out more about my faith, in order for me to find out more about answering these questions and my doubts, I'm gonna leave the church, I'm gonna leave Jesus, and I'm gonna figure it out. But here's, here's what the scripture tells us. It tells us to live within wise counsel. It tells us that God has all of the answers. It tells us where two or three are gathered and 
uh, that God is present and that he's enthroned in, the praises, in, enthroned in the praises of his people. So if I were the enemy, I would say, don't go to those things. If I were the enemy, I would say, I want you to be isolated, right? In isolation, doubt often becomes false belief. If in godly community, doubt often becomes testimony. And this is how we overcome the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And so we've gotta have this biblical community uh, around us where we can safely communicate our, our doubts and our questions. And so I just wanna kinda set that as a precedence for here, here at Rise. I want this to be a place where people can say, here, I'm struggling with this belief. Like, I'm struggling with understanding this. I'm struggling with it. And we ought to be those people who say, okay, let's pray about that. Let's walk through that. Let's explore that. We're gonna walk through this together. Amen? A few points about making room for more. A few points about the glory of, of God. These takeaways. Number one, God wants you to experience his glory. We see this often happen on these mountaintop experiences. We see it in Genesis 22 on Mount Moriah where uh, Abraham was going to offer Isaac and God supernaturally provides. You guys remember that? On a mountaintop. Exodus 19 on Mount Sinai where God gave his law to Moses and the people of Israel stayed behind. 1 Kings 18, Mount Carmel. This is where God demonstrated his power to Elijah and fire came down from, from heaven on, on a mountaintop. God's glory. 1 Kings 19, I love this, where God confronted and ministered to the prophet Elijah. The mountaintop is a place where we can go and, and be comforted by God. It's on a mountainside, the mountain of Beatitudes where Jesus taught his famous sermon. It's on Mount Calvary where Jesus Christ was crucified for you and me. It's in Acts 1-9 where Jesus is on the Mount of Olives where he ascended. And here on Mount Hermon, this is taking place. And I just had this encouragement for you that a mountaintop is waiting for you. A mountaintop experience is is waiting for you. The glory of God, meeting with the glory of God is, is waiting for you. And just like God provided for Abraham, God wants you to encounter his glory through provision. Where God spoke to Moses and the people uh, remained at the bottom. Now in the New Testament under this new covenant, God is bringing all of us up that mountain. We're all going to that place of experiencing the glory of God where fire came down on Mount Carmel. God wants to do miraculous things through, through our lives. When we're weary and when we're at our wit's end, there's a Mount Horeb where we can encounter God and we can be filled up again. We can be refreshed. We can be ministered to. There's a, a place where we can encounter God and encounter his glory But if we see these places throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, throughout the Bible as a whole, how come we don't see the glory of God more in our lives? How come we don't see these type of experiences as as often as we do? And let me give you some answers. Kids, that's why. (laughs) Work, that's why. Life, that's why. So plainly put, in this day and age, we're just too busy for the mountaintop experience. We're just too busy for the glory of God. Until we make it a priority. Until we make a plan. Listen, for me, I don't just wake up and say, hey, it sounds like a good day to go to the gym and get fit. Like, that just doesn't happen. I've gotta have a plan. I've gotta write it down. If I have something really important, like a a doctor's appointment, I write it down on a calendar. I make a plan. That's what we gotta do when we're seeking after the glory of God, when we wanna know more from God. We've gotta write it down. We've gotta put it down. We've gotta commit to that day, commit to that time where we're gonna get away and go experience more more of God. Listen, God, God wants to reveal his glory to you. God wants to show you more of himself. Number two, when we take our rightful stance of denying ourselves and devoting ourselves to seeking the way of Jesus, 
we get glimpses of his future glory. And so we have these mountaintop experiences which we have to get away from the norm. We have to get out of our normal routine. We've gotta shut off the rest of the world. We've gotta just go away. We've gotta seek after God, right? That's a mountaintop. It's not where everyone else is, right? But there's also these in-between times where we can have a glimpse of the future glory of of God. For, for me, this camp in Washington that I went to to teach at this kid's camp was a, a, a mountaintop experience. I was there for, for five days and it was away from the norm. It was completely out of my norm and I had a powerful time with God. I, I just saw God do so many things that I haven't ever seen him do before. Like I, I preached, I've never preached to kids that age before. And it happened and it was really cool. Uh, I, I've, never, I've never even been to a kid's camp. I don't know if that's okay to, to say as like a pastor. I never even been to a kid's camp. I had no idea walking into this, but God still moved powerfully. I've never preached eight messages in seven days. Like that's, that's powerful. God, God did it. I've never led kids who are not my own into uh, walking with Jesus, giving their lives to Jesus. I've never walked kids that are not my own into baptism in the Holy Spirit. It, it just, I, I've never, never done this, but I saw God do all of these things. This was a mountaintop experience for me. It's like, this is absolutely incredible. God came through. But as I, I got back, I you know, you get back into the normal groove of things and that's, that mountaintop experience is carrying me through, I feel like, a, a fresh momentum, but I've also had moments of just intentionally, since I've been back, I'm saying, I'm denying myself, I'm denying my fleshly desires, I'm seeking after you, I, 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 I'm carrying my cross, and I've had God freshly speak in, in, in clarity, in, in new ways, I felt my back, my, myself, as I've gotten back, be tempted to go back towards those like feelings of being overwhelmed. But as I've laid down these things, I've seen God come in with peace in, in my life. I've seen new peace in my home. It's incredible. Praise Jesus. So as we deny ourselves and take up our cross, we get glimpses of, of glory. And finally, an experience with the glory of God will often challenge our previously held beliefs. I wanna welcome our worship team forward as, as we just close with this point. As, as Peter, James, and John were up there having this experience, seeing this Jesus in a brand new light, figuratively and literally, we see them come to this place where they've got questions that this doesn't fully line up with everything that they've believed, all of their expectations. And as we come to this place of experiencing God in deeper ways in, in our own life, we've gotta expect that we're gonna have our realities challenged. I know for me, like the supernatural aspect of God has been, uh, uh, was a, something that, was challenging to me. I'd never seen like God do really cool supernatural stuff before. I actually believed when, when I gave my life to Jesus, I believed that he was done doing that stuff, that he was done doing physical healings, that he was done doing signs, wonders, and miracles. And I came to know Jesus. I got water baptized in that water. I came out and the scars that I had uh, put on my body from, from cutting disappeared like supernaturally. Right? There was freedom from that addiction. You guys have heard, heard my story. And so for me, my reality was just being shaken. And I feel like as we have encounters with God, this ought to be our expectation. That our realities are gonna be challenged. And it's gonna be a challenge for us. That's why faith is such a huge part of this walk with Jesus. Where we have to choose to say, I believe your ways rather than the ways that I've been grown up in. The, the base way that we function as humans is being conformed to the image of this world. 
is that naturally we've been formed by our society, we've been formed by media, our perspectives have been formed by our families, our parents, some of this for the better and some of this for the worse. But we get to take all of that little by little and we get to say, all right, God, I'm choosing to believe what you say over all of these other things. And so I just want us to get comfortable in this place, comfortable in this place of being shaped more into the image of Jesus because we say this kind of nonchalantly, I, I, I do my best to say this every single week, that we're being formed into the image of Jesus. We're continually being shaped. And sometimes it sounds like that's just a simple thing, but it's not always. It, this really requires us to uh, like daily lay things down. One of those things for me has been like forgiveness. Right, where, where God's calling us to forgive someone, and it's so hard, especially if someone has hurt you so deeply. You guys ever experienced that? You're like, I know that God is calling me to forgive because he's forgiven me, and I want to be able to do God's will, but forgiving this person, it was so wrong. I can't believe what they did. But in that moment, I say, I'm gonna choose your way, God, I, I forgive. But I wake up that next day and I gotta do it again until I believe it all the more. And then the next day I gotta do it again and do it again until I finally get to this place of truly having forgiven in, in my heart of hearts and the deepest down. And so maybe that's an invitation for you this morning that you, you need to forgive someone. If, if Holy Spirit is highlighting something to you in your life, or someone in your life, or some experience in your life where you need to forgive, just remember, God's, God's forgiven you. And it starts as simple as saying, God, I forgive them. Help me to forgive them fully. Start where you're at. That's what we get to do in this walk with Jesus. Start where you're at. I believe the invitation for all of us this morning is that we would come to a fresh place of just saying, I want your glory, God. I wanna, I wanna know more of you, I wanna see more of you, I wanna feel more of you, I wanna experience more of you. I, I, I just want all that you have to offer. Does anybody else have that heart? Like I want all that God has to offer. Hey, thanks again for tuning in with us today. I really do hope and pray that this message has been transformative in your life to help you to take steps in relationship with Jesus. If this has been a blessing to you, there are several things you could do in order to give honor where honor is due. Uh, we would love if you would give us a like, go ahead and give us a subscribe, go ahead and share us, tag us, uh, quote us, do all of those things in your social media feeds. We would be so blessed by that. If you have any more questions or need any more information about who we are, what we believe, or if you'd like to give towards the forwarding of ministry here through Rise Church, you can do so at www.risechurchid.org. God bless. Have a great week.